This is L.A. Court Report, covering Southern California's boys' high school basketball scene, going to games, running events, hosting Zoom conversations, and now, the podcast. Welcome to the L.A. Court Report podcast. I'm Steve Wax, here with Brad Enright, and our guest is Beverly Hills High School head coach Jarvis Turner. Coach Turner, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I appreciate you guys putting that platform together for all of us coaches, man, and uh, this is an awesome thing that you guys are doing. Thanks so much. Jarvis, you played at USC, and you were a key part of some very good teams. You've been the head coach at Birmingham and at Beverly Hills High School. You produce consistently good teams year after year. But what we want to talk about specifically is how your experience as a player has enhanced your approach to coaching. In addition to you, you had some really talented teammates at USC, and you stayed in contact with them. I know that some of them even come by to meet with your team at Beverly. Can you talk about those connections that you've kept over the years? Yeah, um, well, I was fortunate enough to play with a lot of good players at USC. I think, uh, you know, when I was there, uh, you know, we had a, a pretty good amount of success. Um, you know, of course, Brian Scalabrini, uh, he, was, he was our guy uh, that everybody's pretty much familiar with, went on to have a pretty illustrious career in the NBA. Uh, Sam Clancy was a part of that team, who also had played a couple years in the league. David Blutenthal, Jeff Trepanier, Brandon Granville, Desmond Farmer. So we, you know, we had a really good group of guys. Um, and, uh, you know, we were able to develop a, a long-lasting relationship um, through our tenure uh, you know, at USC playing under Coach Bibby. Um, you know, I think uh, we had a special bond just because uh, of how demanding uh, and uh, some will say crazy Coach Bibby was. And so I think because of that, it kind of created a special bond for us. And, you know, for the most part, we were able to kind of keep that established relationship over the course of the years. I know uh, I just recently talked to Desmond Farmer. He's doing well. I think he's... Uh, uh, might be on staff at SC now. He's talking about, um, I think they were talking about bringing him on as a grad assistant there at SC. And, you know, me and Jeff are, uh, we, we talk pretty frequently, Shannon Swillis. So all those guys, you know, we do have a pretty good relationship with um, still to this day. Um, and I'm fortunate enough that some of those guys are still around. And, and like you said, they come and, and give my guys a little bit of their knowledge and, and you know, share their experience of kind of what they went through both on the floor and off the floor. So um, it was definitely a great experience. Before we hit record, you were telling us that you had played in Caracas, Venezuela. What did you get out of the overseas experience and how does that relate to the way you approach coaching your teams now? You know what, man? Caracas, Venezuela was um, a unique experience. I'll say that much. You know, when, when I was there, um, it was during the Civil War. So, you know, it was the first time for me that I actually seen, you know, military in the street with M16s walking around, you know, like, you know, just normal daily activity, you know. Um, but I mean, outside of that, um, I mean, it's a great country, man. You know, had a nice little cottage on the beach, beautiful weather, you know, beautiful people. Um, you know, the, the translation, they speak Portuguese, so it was, it was a little bit difficult in terms of the translations of how they communicated, but they had a, another American guy over there um, who was uh, very helpful. 
um, when I played. But, you know, I mean, the, the game, I would say, was a little bit more open, um, you know, I would, than college. Uh, you know, the coach kind of really just kind of let the guys play. I mean, there was a there was a, a guard that I played with who had been there for like 10 or 11 years. You know, so he pretty much ran the show, um, you know, but he was a very knowledgeable guy, very, very heads. You know, they play a lot of transition up and down game and, you know, practices consisted of a lot of scrimmaging and, you know, not so much drills. So you know, I kind of took that part of, you know, my experience and kind of implemented that into my style of coaching. Um, as I began as a young guy. And your time at USC, how did that prepare you to be a good coach? You know, I, I had a, a great experience at USC, man, because, you know, I mean, unfortunately, you know, I spent a lot of my time um, injured. And, uh, you know, I had seven surgeries while I was at SC. So, um, you know, injuries kind of kind of did me in a little bit. But I also got the opportunity to, man, to watch, you know, some great coaches and uh, up live and personal, you know, we had Luke Olson, uh, Mike Montgomery was, was there in the pack in the pack 10 back then. Um, you know, um, you had Lavin at UCLA. And so yeah, Ernie Kent was in the, in there. Um, uh, my man at Washington, uh, Bender was in there. So, I mean, it was a Kevin Eastman was in the conference, you know, so it was a lot of great basketball minds, um, in our conference at that time, man. So, I mean, I, I pretty much, um, you know, after, I would say after my sophomore year, the, the latter part of my sophomore year and the, and, and the, my junior year, you know, I kind of sat close to Coach Miller on the bench and, you know, kind of was able to kind of see things and give my input. And that's one thing that Henry did allow me to do as, um, as a player on the bench. You know, he did allow me to, to, to give my input. And if I seen something, you know, he, he was – he allowed me to share that with him or with Coach Miller. And, and there were sometimes they would actually implement it uh, into what we were doing out on the floor. So, um, you know, just being able to watch so many different styles of coaching and philosophies um, in the Pac-10 at that point in time, I think that helped me out tremendously. Um, and, 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 you know, not to discredit Coach Henry Bibby at all. I mean, he came up under Coach Wooden, you know, who, of course, is one of the the greatest coaches of all times and, and what he's done, what he's done for the game and implemented into the game. I think, uh, you know, coach Bibby took a lot of his style and, and, and his philosophy and, and put that in us. And, and I also took some of what he got from coach Wooden and, uh, you know, I implemented it to my uh, philosophy as well. So, uh, you know, it, it was definitely a, uh, an interesting experience. Like I said, man, a lot of great coaches I got to see up close and personal, um, you know, how they conduct their business. It's funny, man. We were at Arizona. And so, you know, Mike Bibby played Arizona, Coach Bibby's son. And, uh, I mean, you know, Coach Bibby and Luke Olsen hated each other. I mean, let's just, let's just be frank and, and honest, right? So, you know, Coach Bibby was, like, meticulous. Yeah, I mean, he was meticulous, man. He would make, you know, before we started shooting around, if we're in another gym, he would have all the managers go check every door, every crevice to make sure nobody's, you know, peeping or watching. So I think Luke also knew that, right? So there was a scouting report barely crumbled up in the trash can, right? You know, on USC had some, some, some you know, it, it was kind of sketchy. Let's just say that. The scouting report was a bit sketchy, all right? And then on the back of the scouting report, and it said, I really hate 
Coach Biddy. I really hate these guys. On the back of the scouting report, true story. True story, man. So, I mean, it's like to see that, you know, up close and personal, you know, to see that that rivalry, that competitive spirit on that level, you know, I mean, you talk about, I mean, I, you know, we, we all think it was planted, you know, in that trash can. No. We just, no, we, no, they wouldn't do that. <laughs> we just talk about the strategies, man, and, 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 you know, the advantages that coaches try to get, man, you know, the mind games, you know, that go along with coaching this game, man. So I, I was able to pick a lot of that stuff up as well. Looking at those 10 teams in the pack, is there one that you feel you play the most like now at Beverly? Hmm. You know what? I, I would have to say – I would have to say, you know, Coach Bibby, um, SC, I mean, because we, we were set heavy. I mean, we probably had, you know, we probably in a season, we probably had 40 different sets, 40 to 50 different sets, you know. And so, you know, I obviously taper that down uh, for the high school level. But, I mean, we were extremely set heavy, man. And, I mean, we would, you know, we would, you know, first time through the Pac-10, you know, we're running, you know, same, you know, a set. Um, and then the second time around, it may be the same setup, but a different you know, a different formation or different action out of the same formation or whatever we're doing, man. So, um, you know, I think that's one thing about me and probably one of my uh, one of my downfalls. My assistant tells me, man, I, I, I run too many different sets. But, yeah, I think I think probably uh, Coach Bibby's style is probably the most that I emulate just because I'm so set heavy. So when you transitioned from being a player to being a coach, was there anything that you felt unprepared for? And you can say now, after years on the job, you really learned how to handle the situation better. Yeah. So, so as I told you guys before, before we started, I I, I began my coaching career at Harvard Westlake. So going from USC to Harvard Westlake, it was like a lateral step over. It wasn't really like a step down. You know, my my transition from Harvard Westlake to Birmingham. Now that's a different story. Um, you know, I, I wasn't quite prepared for the groundwork and the legwork and the hustle that I had to do in a public school environment, man. I mean, that was, you know, that was extremely challenging, you know, to say the least, man, just, uh, you know, have, have your resources at beg and call for, at Harvard Westlake, being able to do what you need to do, get what you want to get. Um, and then to go to Har and then to go to Birmingham, um, and, you know, have to do car washes on Saturdays and, you know, rally your parents and your, your family and your alumni together, man, just to get uniforms and things of that nature. I would say that was the part that I probably was most unprepared for, you know, just the administrative and the business side of, you know, financing a program at a competitive level, you know, wanting to compete, you know, um, even recruiting, you know, I wasn't a guy to really even recruit. Um, you know, we had, uh, you know, of course we had Derek Taylor was at Taft, uh, Osiris was at Cleveland. Uh, you know, David was at El Camino. So, I mean, it was a really competitive league, a lot of good coaches. Um, but just that the, the, the grind of it, man, of, you know what I'm saying? Just, you know, the type of kids and, you know, making sure that their personal situation was in line, making sure they're eligible. And, you know, I had some good kids at Birmingham for the most part, but I mean, just like I said, it was, uh, it was definitely a grind, man, um, in terms of, uh, you know, financing that program and, and, and making it work you know, how I wanted it to. When you tell people you're the head coach of Beverly Hills High School, what's the first question they typically ask you? Uh, 
did I coach did I coach uh, Justin Bieber? <laughs> did I did I coach Justin Bieber? Like I don't even think Justin Bieber is from Beverly Hills, um, but I I did have a kid who looks very eerily similar to Justin Bieber named Austin Mills, uh, who ended up having a pretty good high school career and then played a little bit uh, at Pepperdine and Baylor. But you know, of course, they uh, the question that I, I most frequently get asked is you know, how is it coaching those rich, spoiled kids, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, so that's, that's probably the most consistent, the most consistent um, question I could ask about Beverly Hills. And, you know, of course, uh, you know, are there any celebrity kids that you coached or politicians or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. It's, it's changed over the years. I know probably in the, uh, the nineties and eighties, you know, you probably had, you know, a lot of celebrity kids and politicians, kids there on campus. But now, you know, with the influx of so many private schools, you know, we rarely see um, those kids on our campus anymore. I know that sometimes when you do coach kids who come from backgrounds where they don't have a lot at home and you're able to provide food for them, you're able to provide gear for them, you're able to provide basketball shoes, it does allow you to form a relationship with the player. You're in a situation where most of those kids have the means to have to be fed, to have the means to have their gear. How do you develop that player-coach relationship with players that don't need you the way a player who maybe has a little less needs you? Yeah, you know, you you'd be surprised, man. I think there's a lot of consistencies, uh, you know, from kids, you know, from a maybe a e- economically challenged background uh, as opposed to an affluent background. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of similarities with those kids. You know, I think uh, I think anytime that you show a kid respect, uh, anytime you show a kid compassion, uh, that you care for them, I think they're going to gravitate that energy back towards you. And I think, uh, you know, that's one thing that I was able to do, um, you know, pretty much at all of my all of my destinations that I've coached at. Um, I've been able to just kind of, you know, put out you know, caring, compassionate energy, letting those guys know that I care about them. You know, I mean, you'd be surprised, man. The kids at Beverly Hills, you know, were more excited to get a pair of Adidas than the kids at Birmingham, you know. Kids at Birmingham were like, we're not getting the Jordans, you know. And uh, so it's like, you know, you're dealing with that, man. But, um, yeah, no, there's a lot of similarities, man. I wouldn't really say that, you know, there's a difference between you know, um, a kid from a uh, socioeconomic challenge background uh, to an affluent background, man, in terms of my style and my philosophy and how I relate to those guys. I think, uh, like I said, I, I, I coach with, with compassion and, and uh, you know, those guys know I care about them. Um, and so, you know, I think that's translatable um, at any level. I think that's a great answer. You've transitioned from being a player in the Pac-10 and I know that you had some, despite your seven surgeries, you had some really good seasons. So you've made a great transition into coaching. Why do you feel some good players have struggled being effective coaches? You know what? I think, um, you know, and, and, and I think I struggle as well, you know, but I think that just, you know, knowing what it takes to be successful, you know, it, the first thing I think is our competitive drive and our competitive spirit. You know, I think uh, to be able to compete at that level, you know, I think you have you have to have some sort of competitive drive and spirit in you, man, to even get there. Um, you know, 
even Division Two, Division Three, man, because at those, you know, that level, those guys, you know, they love the game a lot more than a Division One kid does, you know, just because they got to, you know, go through a lot more hoops and challenges to to, to play the game. But, um, you know, I think that just the, the the competitive part of translating, you know, your abilities, your skills, your experience with the modern day player, with the modern day kid. Um, you know, I mean, cause you, you know, as a coach, you know, you expect the kid when you tell him to do something that he should be able to do it. Um, and we, you know, we take for granted our talents and our abilities as players. You know, we never really, you know, of course, when you're older, you're like, well, yeah, I was, you know, I, I was a pretty good player, but when you're younger, you know, you're always pushed to try to get better and to, to try to improve your game and, you know what I'm saying, try to achieve to get to the next level, the next step, you know, whatever that goal for you is. And so I think, um, you know, because of that, you know, we think that kids who don't have as much talent or who have lesser talent or even have a lot of talent um, should be able to kind of do the things that we're able to do. You know, and, and I think uh, just the mental part of the game, you know, just being able to just being able to understand concepts, basketball concepts, you know, um, you know, for me, um, I just kind of had an innate ability, you know, to grasp on the concepts and, you know, Coach Bibby would just, you know, drop a set and I would pick it up like that and I'd be able to retain it. No problem. You know, for me, that was just one of one of my talents, I think. Um, and, you know, we, we, we had a fairly intelligent team, I, I, I would say, under Coach Bibby, because if we did, I don't think we, we were able to be so set heavy. Um, but, you know, having that pressure of, you know, wanting to be successful, that pressure of wanting to be great and wanting to try to, you know, get to the next level, you try to put that into your kids and, you know, it's just not there, you know, and I think um, the struggle, I think, for most ex-former players who become coaches is finding that fine line of, you know, um, pushing this guy, you know, to try to reach his potential, you know, to try to, you know, have the experiences that you've had uh, versus, you know, just kind of letting that player be his own self and letting him grow into his own self and not having that huge expectation. You know, I think, uh, you know, that that's a challenge, you know? And so I think, um, you know, for me, I think I still struggle with that, man. I, I, I set uh, high expectations for all of my players. You know, I, I push them and, and I challenge them like they are a division one player. Um, you know, I try to run my program as close to a division one program uh, and as close to the experience that I had. And I try to share that with all of my guys. But, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, talent, number one, and then, um, you know, intellect, secondly, you know, it's just not always able to happen. So, you know, I think just, you know, just kind of understanding, you know, who you're dealing with, man, when, when you get into coaching as an ex-player um, is huge, you know. And if you have that coming in, uh, I think you're off to a great start. But I definitely think it's a struggle, you know. When you went from – SC to playing professionally in Venezuela, then you go to coach a JV team. <clears throat> freshman. Drop off there, freshman. So yeah. you drop off, you said skill, intellect. I know yeah. when I left the college ranks and took a high school job, naively, I just assumed because I had never coached in high school that all these guys had to get into a stance and knew how to do all these things that college guys do. And I just, the biggest mistake I ever made was just not even thinking of that, that there's going to be a learning curve. They're not going to know everything that a 
20 year old or 19 year old college student is going to know coming from the professional level to the freshman level was that that level of drop was that hard you know what you, you, you what's surprising man is you know and i think this is because of the environment that i was in i mean those kids uh, let me just let me just tell you a few names ahead of my freshman team at harvard westlake though ronaldo woolridge okay uh james dunleavy mike dunleavy's little brother um who else was on that team? Uh, I had one other kid, uh, Sebastian, a kid named Sebastian. He went to play tight end at Stanford. You know, so I, I had a good group of athletes, right? And so, um, you know, for me, it was like, I mean, I don't want to say it was easy, but, you know, I mean, these kids were so eager to learn and so, you know, intuitive and just the, the – uh, uh, of taking the knowledge that I was giving to them and implementing into practice and everyday stuff that we were doing. I mean, it was like, it, it honestly was like a dream come true, man. I mean, I was like, I, I honestly, and I, and I think it was a unique experience because I don't think anybody would have that luck with the freshman team of, you know, just, you know, having guys listen, um, you know, to uh, everything that you say. And then not only that, they work hard, you know, they play hard. Uh, I mean, you're talking about, you know, you had Arn Tellum's little kids. So you're talking about families that just have the understanding and knowledge of what it takes to be successful, you know, like hard work, you know, work ethic is just ingrained to them at an early age from home. So when a coach tells you to do something and, and, and a coach has a little bit of resume, you know, they were doing it, man. And, uh, you know, I think like my first year at Harvard West, like I think I may have lost maybe one or two games. Um, you know, we had one, one undefeated season. I mean, it was like, it was like for me, a match made in heaven, you know? Um, that's why I think it was fool's gold as well. That's why I was so eager to, to take the jump to go to Birmingham and get my ass kicked by Derek Taylor every year. Yeah. So the next question I would have is one of your USC teammates comes to you and says, I think I'm ready to be a high school coach. In addition to the things that you've talked about, about how you approach running a program, what specific advice do you have for them about scheduling practices or position work or make sure to do this, make sure not to do this basketball-wise? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll tell them, man, make sure this is what you want to do, man, um, because it is, such a, it is such a thankless profession. Um, you know, it is uh, time-consuming. Um, you know, it's grueling. You know, I mean, if you, if you care about it and you love it, you know, and you care about the kids, um, you know, it, 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 it can consume you, man. It can consume your life, you know. And so I, I would say first and foremost, make sure that, you know, I would tell them this is something that you, that you want to do, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, it may seem glamorous sometimes. And, you know, I mean, you look at the way that the business of the game is evolving on the high school le level. And so you look at that and you're like, yeah, I want to get in on it. But, you know, when, when you're actually on campus and dealing with administrators, you know, dealing with principals, dealing with teachers and, you know, everything that goes along with it, man, you know, you just, it's, it's something that you got to want to do. You know, it's like, you know, and when you're at a, uh, when you're at a program uh, that has a little bit of success at a high school level, you know, anything happens with one of your players, you know, they go directly to the coach, you know, anything. And so, you know, just uh, understanding that, man, understanding what comes with it, you know, I, I would say let them know, man, make sure this is, this is what you want to do. And then secondly, I would say, you know, you got to be organized and, you know, you got to have a, a, 
an open line of communication with, with administration and parents and, and players. And, you know, you have to be able to, uh, you know, show them, you have to be able to reveal yourself a little bit, you know, show them that you're human and show them that you're touchable and relatable and all these different things, man. And, you know, I think uh, you can't come into a situation on the pedestal thinking that you had this great experience and that you're this guy and, you know, then there'll be kind of a separation between, you know, you and your players and your program. And so, uh, you know, it's something that you got to be all in on, man, if you want to have success. And, you know, it's it's a tremendous amount of sacrifice. Like I said, man, um, you know, time away from your family and, and uh, you know, just all those different things, man. It's, it's uh, something that you got to love. You know, it's just not it's, it's not a job. You know, it's not a job. It's something that you got to love. What has made the high school level the right level for you? You know what? I, I would say my experience um, at USC, um, you know, made this a uh, the level that I want to be at, man. I think, uh, you know, so I mean, I was pretty highly recruited coming out of high school and, you know, I was recruited by, you know, everybody in the Pac-12, by, you know, Roy Williams at Kansas and, uh you know, had a, had a lot of opportunities, didn't come at Louisville. And so, you know, I got to SC and, uh, you know, I was starting as a freshman and uh, things are going well. I got hurt like in the second or third exhibition game. And, uh, you know, I missed pretty much the entire uh, portion, first half of the season, all the way maybe up until like the third or fourth game of the Pac-10. And, uh, you know, Coach Bibby was like, man, you got to redshirt. You know, you got a wrestler. You know, he's telling me, calling me and my father in. It's like, you got a wrestler. You got a wrestler. And I'm like, coach, and I was starting, you know, as a freshman, you know, I'm going to get my spot back and, you know, I'm going to have success. And, uh, you know, not understanding, you know, that the, the challenge and the hill that I had to climb to actually get to the level of not only fitness, but just understanding, you know, competitiveness of where those guys have been by already playing, you know, a half a season already, you know, so having to catch up from behind, you know, as a young guy was a challenge. So, um, you know, I learned my lesson there, go to my sophomore year, um, you know, same thing, get hurt. So now I'm kind of understanding the business of it. And now I'm seeing that, you know, we're bringing in guys in my position, Clancy or like a Brian Scalabrini or David Blutenthal, um, I'm seeing that happen and bringing guys in my position. I'm like, well, you know, I mean, what's going on here? You know, so just kind of, you know, having conversations with the coaching staff about my future and about, you know, all the stuff that, you know, I foresee for myself happening while I was at SC. In the meantime, guys that I come in with transferring to other schools and, and all this thing. So the business itself over the course of my career um, at USC, I think tainted my willingness to want to coach at the college level, you know, because I'm a guy who, uh, you know, I have a tremendous passion for youth. I always have, I, I, you know, I do a lot of stuff for, um, for the uh, young kids in Bakersfield where in my hometown and, you know, I have a strong affinity for, you know, wanting to help youth and wanting to help them succeed. And, uh, you know, I never want to lie to a kid, you know, and, and, you know, not to say that the recruiting game is full of lies, but, it's full of fluff, you know, um, it's full of, you know, candor and, 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 you know, it's, it's not always a truthful situation, you know, um, 
and so, you know, I never wanted to put myself in a situation where, you know, I would have to tell a kid, you know what, man, I think you're going to be a pro, you know, because uh, I mean, you know, that's what a lot of guys do to recruit, you know, they tell you how good you are, you know, they tell you, you know, what you're going to do. I mean, rarely do you have a coach come in and just tell, tell you, you know, this is what needs to happen for you to attain this. You know, and so just my personal experience going through the business side of SC, seeing what I've seen, um, you know, kind of tainted my willingness to want to coach, um, you know, at the next level. Man, I just ne never really was a guy to want to chase and recruit kids and not tell them the truth, not tell them, you know, you're going to have to run 100 suicides, you know, if you don't do A, B, and C. You know, you're going to have to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and, you know, if you want to try to get to the next level because you're competing against, you know, a thousand other kids um, who are just as hungry, if not hungrier um, than you, you know, and trying to get the same thing that you're trying to get. So um, I think that, um, you know, just seeing that, man, and, uh, you know, I mean, and, 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 you know, I mean, I can be candid with you guys, right? I mean, you know, we, uh, I mean, Coach Bibby, what, Coach Bibby came from, Coach Bibby came from a CBA coaching background so he started in the cba so you know if you guys know anything about the cba which i which i know you do you guys have been around the game forever it's it's a cutthroat business so if a kid is not performing or a guy's not performing he's he's done he's he's aware of the next day so coach bibby kind of brought that mentality you know to usc he kind of brought that style to usc man so i mean i i've seen some kids you know i mean have their dreams shattered you know, because Coach Bibby didn't think he, they were good enough. And so just seeing that, you know, um, that hurt, you know, of, of one of my teammates having to go through that, you know, having a, having guys that I came in with, you know, uh, like a Shannon Willis, you know, he, ended, he one of my best friends, he ended up transferring. You know, he ended up going to Fresno State um, after a few years. So just seeing the, the, the business side of things, man, and kind of how it went down and, you know, uh, you know, kind of swayed me away from uh, wanting to coach in college, you know? So, I mean, I, I knew that I would always be in a position to help kids and, and to teach kids. And, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, where I am right now, I'm comfortable at this level. And, uh, you know, I think that's what did it for me. And you had a great high school experience. Can you talk about your fondest memory from high school? You know what, man, I, um, I had a lot of, I had a lot of fond memories. I think my fondest memory, I think, you know, what stands out to me the most is the, you know, my first tryout for the varsity team um, as an eighth grader in that summer. I think that was um, my fondest memory. I think that was like one of the best feelings that I remember having, um, you know, in high school, you know, being an eighth grader and, and you're going into a varsity practice, you know, with all these older guys, big, strong, tough guys. And, you know, being able to hold your own. And that was the actually first time uh, that I actually dunked on somebody in, in a scrimmage, you know, just because of the adrenaline and the excitement that was going on that day in tryout. So I think, I think that was one of the fondest memories um, that I had, um, you know, as a high school player. I mean, you know, we, you know, we had a lot of success in high school. We won a couple of CIF championships. Um, you know, we, uh, I mean, we played, Jared Henderson was a little older than me. He was at UCLA. He ended up playing at UCLA. He, uh, you know, he pretty much dominated, his team pretty much dominated the area in my younger years uh, of high school, my freshman and sophomore year. And then we kind of, kind of took the, uh, 
the 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 platform from there. Um, but I think that was pretty much the fondest memory, man. I think just in terms of my uh, my love that I have for officials and for referees, I remember the last game that I played, uh, we were playing actually um, uh, JW North, uh, Chris Claiborne and those guys, Todd Ramazar, and you know they had a pretty good team. And this official, I mean, was just like you know was just you know just not a good guy. And so he was just talking bad to our team, talking bad to the other teams. And, you know, I mean, I, I was pretty – I wasn't really like an um, uh, outspoken player. Um, but, you know, he had called a couple of uh, early fouls on me and uh, sat me down. And uh, on my way to the bench, I was like – you know, I gave a reaction. He was like, you keep that up, I'm going to foul you out of this game. And he mumbled that on under his breath. And you know, Lorenzo Romar was there. So I'm like, damn, Lorenzo's here. I'm on the bench. You know, I'm I'm, I'm frustrated. I want to play. And so lo and behold, you know, we're up. It's like maybe I think I want to say like three and a half minutes left in the game. And uh, I have four fouls. And uh this guy fouls me out of the game on a phantom call. Um, you know, just basically, you know, nowhere really near or in the mix of the play calls a foul on me, fouls me out of the game, um, and we end up losing the game uh, in front of Lorenzo Romar, who was at UCLA. So that was probably my toughest memory that I have to deal with, man. But, you know, a lot of good memories, man. Jarvis, you mentioned, you know, obviously you chose SC, but you talked about how, you know, UCLA recruited you, Kansas recruited you, Louisville recruited you. What was it about SC that made you want to go there as opposed to some of the, you know, at that time, you know, larger, bigger names? Yeah. For Yeah. So, um, you know, I kind of wanted to set my own path. Well, well, first and foremost, I was a family-oriented guy. You know, family was huge for me. Um, my mom and dad was, uh, you know, a big part of my life. And, uh, you know, I mean, they, they, you know, sacrificed a lot for me to, to put me in the position that I was in and, you know, that I had. And so, you know, I just kind of felt obligated, which is ridiculous now uh, that I think about it. But I felt, I felt obligated uh, to stay close to home, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, that was a big reason why, um, you know, I, uh, I decided to go to SC among, among a few other reasons. But, um, you know, that was, that was part of the biggest reasons, uh, just, just being able to stay at home, uh, you know, wanting to set my own path. You know, I had a phenomenal visit when I went to SC. Um, you know, had a great experience. And then, I mean, you know, the 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 academic and the alumni piece, you know, at USC was also a huge sale. Um, and that's something that they really sold uh, when I was coming out, man. So, I mean, you know, just being able to be close to home, having my parents come watch me play, I think that was one of the biggest factors of me staying close and, and going to SC. What's it like to call Denny Crum and tell him you're not going to come play at Louisville? You know what? Um, yeah. Scooter McCray was recruiting me at, a, at Louisville, so I didn't really have that conversation with Denny Crum. And they actually, they actually, uh, they actually started recruiting me late, man. It was like a, one of those things we were at a pump camp and, you know, Dana said, hey, man, I need you to come over to my dorm. You know, I need to talk to you. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, it's like, yeah, this is Scooter McRae. Uh, he's uh, he's at Louisville, and uh, they really like you. And uh, you know, you need to take a visit and all that. So, took the visit, and uh, you know, they they wanted me to play point guard, man. And I'm like, damn, you know, it was like crazy. You know, I mean, you know, and at that time, honestly, um, you know, just uh, you know, ignorant to the whole big time college basketball thing. You know, I mean, I was like. You know, I, I was a three-sport high school, you know, three-sport guy in high school up until like my junior year. You know, um, you know, I played varsity baseball as a freshman, so I'm like, you know, I mean, I I just on to the next sport. You know, let's let's keep it moving. And so I really didn't really get serious about it until like that junior year of high school. You know, that that summer, uh, end up going to ABCD camp, and so it was. So I, I didn't I didn't get a chance to call uh, Scooter McRae, and I mean uh, I didn't get a chance to call Denny Crum and, and break the news to him, but. Um, yeah, it was crazy, man. Uh, Coach Sutton was at Oklahoma State. I mean, they were, they were on me tough, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, just it was crazy, man. Now that I think about it, like, <laughs> wow, you know, like, you know, you. I mean, I, I haven't even thought about that stuff for quite some time, man. And uh, you're man, getting recruited by you're you're talking about Hall of Fame coaches. I should have cashed in, damn it. That's what I should have did. <laughs> I should have cashed in. Oh my goodness, it's crazy. I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Like, man, you know, it's, it's a crazy game, man. But you know, I, like I said, I had, a, I had a good experience at SC, man. Everything happens for a reason. Oh yeah, it sounds like you did it. You made the right choice for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So two more questions. If I were to ask any player that played for you about what three things do you think Coach Turner stands for when it comes to his program? What answer would one of your players give? Well, I, I think they would say that I'm tough. You know, I think they, they all would agree that I'm tough. I think, um, you know, they would say that I'm definitely real and, uh, you know, that I hold them accountable. You know, I think um, you know, those, those are things that I just try to pride myself on doing. And, uh, yeah, man, I mean, I have uh, – it's crazy, man. You know, you, you never – you never know how hard you how hard you are on guys until you know they're mature enough to really you know come back and and tell you how they feel you know years later, man. And I, I mean, and I have guys, um, you know, I mean, we're talking about eight nine years ago when I first started at Beverly, who are you know out in the business world, being you know very successful, doing their thing, and you know they come back and and show me love and show their appreciation and just tell me, man, like you know, that they were happy that I was tough on them, you know, and they were, you know, um, glad that, you know, that's the way I coached them and, you know, all these different things, man. So I think uh, I think they would definitely say that I was tough, man. I held them accountable and I was a real coach, man. I mean, we, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's about basketball, but more importantly, man, it's about life, you know, with, with all of my kids uh, and, uh, and, and any place that I am. And, and so, you know, we – we, we've, over the years, I mean, we've had discussions about all types of different life, you know, situations, you know, I mean, we, we would come into practice and, you know, like, I remember, I think we were playing, um, Santa Monica was a rivalry game and we were playing Santa Monica at home and, uh, you know, incident happened, um, on campus and, uh, you know, I don't even think we practiced that day, man. We just sat down game before, you know, one of the biggest games of the season. 
And, uh, you know, we just pretty much rap, man, for like two hours, just about life and, you know, making good decisions and, you know, carrying yourself properly and, you know, just all types of stuff, man. So, I mean, I, I, I can remember a, a, a good amount of conversations that I've had with my guys in practice and, and in that gym just on, you know, ensuring that um, those those intangibles, you know what I'm saying, that we can't always touch, see, and feel, man, or are, are heading in the right direction and doing the right thing for your life, man. And, uh, you know, so I think, uh, I think they've grown and shown me a sense of appreciation for, you know, putting that in them. And uh, I'm definitely appreciating them back, man. I actually got a shirt right now, my guy, Mad Happy, man. I got a couple kids uh, who uh, created a label, man. Two, two of my favorite players, man. One was their brothers. One was the biggest asshole in the world. And the other was like, no talent, couldn't play, but the hardest worker. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, would give the best effort ever in life, you know what I'm saying, in anything. And, and I mean, they've, they started a brand called Mad Happy. And, and they are killing it, man. Uh, they're killing it, man. They're doing, they're doing so well. And, uh, you know, they, they send me merch all the time and I'm a big guy. So this is like, you know, stuff that they're, you know, custom just making just for me, man. And so it's like, you know, to have that love, uh, come in my direction, man, it's just like, man, it's, uh, makes me feel good. You know, it makes me feel good, man. And so, um, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an amazing experience. So then the last question and it's not not as happy a question, so we should probably just add something else at the very end. You mentioned you had seven surgeries. Do you think, obviously you're not that old, but do you think in the 20 years since you stopped playing uh, at the collegiate level, the strength and conditioning developments would have maybe prevented you from having that situation today? Uh, Wax, man, that is a great question, man, because let me tell you, let's just say we, we had our conditioning coach, his name, was Sergeant Armando. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sergeant Armando, big black guy. You know what I'm saying? Never seen him in anything else but his army uniform. You know what I'm saying? We're up, hey, hey, Wax, we're up five o'clock in the morning, 5.30 on the track with Armando running six miles. You hear me, Max, Wax? And then from there, you know, we're going to run in a parking structure on the concrete you know, up all the stairs, you know, all that constant pounding on our joints and on our knees and just, you know, no real stretching, you know, jumping jacks, warm-ups, you know, let's go, you know. And so lo and behold, um, you know, I mean, we had Roger Rhodes on that team. He he had a uh, MCL that year. Stace had an MCL issue. Our big guy, David Krause, had a foot issue. You know, I had a back issue. Danny Walker, who was also a freshman with me, he broke his foot. So we had six or seven guys who actually had some sort of fracture that year, you know what I'm saying, after that freshman year. So, um, yeah, man, that's a great question. I think it had a tremendous impact on, uh, on our durability. Um, I mean, of course, science, science has improved, man, in the last 20 years, you know. I mean, science is improving every day. But, yeah, man, just the, uh, the lack of understanding of, of the human body, of the athletic body, you know, uh, at that point in time, definitely was crucial, man. It's crazy, man. I mean, I, you know, me and a buddy of mine were talking about the other day, just the durability uh, that, uh, you know, some guys have and that some guys didn't have, man. I mean, it was just like, and Armando was like, you know, 
he was only there for one year. Let's just say that. I was just going to ask you, do we know the whereabouts of Sergeant <laughs> Armando these days? Yeah, Sergeant Armando, man. This is crazy. You know, it was crazy, man. Like, oh, my God, you know. 5.30 in the morning, six miles. Like, who, who, like who's, who wants to do that, you know? I mean, who is that hungry and motivated? Like, let's go. Curtis, that, wouldn't have happened. that wouldn't have happened at Louisville. It would not have happened at Louisville. You're right. You, you are right. Absolutely. 100%, man. It was crazy. I'm, I, you know, I'm asking guys that are at different spots, so what are you guys doing, man? Like, uh uh-uh, no, we we get up and we scrimmage. You know, we get up early, but we're going to scrimmage in the morning, you know? So it's like, oh, my God. You know, it's like, this is crazy, man. This is crazy. I think Sergeant Armando might be the best character we've unearthed (laughs) from this point on the L.A. Port Report podcast. And I guarantee you, Sergeant Armando probably looks the exact same that he did 20 years ago. (laughs) I can almost guarantee it. I can almost guarantee it, man. Like, this guy, man, my goodness. Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. Well, I was worried that that was going to take us down a negative road. It's all smiles. <laughs> so this would be a great place to say, Jarvis Turner, thank you so much for your time this evening. No, yeah, thank you, guys, man. I appreciate you, man. You guys, uh, Wax, you know, I got a lot of respect for you, man. You've been a, a, a solid good guy that's been around the game, man, for, for so many years, man. And, uh, you know, you're doing a tremendous job, man, giving us coaches a platform and, and giving us a voice, man. And, you know, kudos to you. And, Brad, thank you too, man. I appreciate you guys, man, and keep up the good work. You as well. Thanks for joining us, man. All right, no, my pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to the L.A. Court Report podcast, an L.A. Court Report production. 